Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for gathering with us here today, church, to be able to come and uh, consider once again God's Word. We had a week off last week with Easter, but we're coming back again to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, uh, which if you have not been with us, we are taking up once again Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders who he has called over to visit him while he is staying off in Miletus as his ship that he was taking is docked for a time, and he's making his way over into Jerusalem. Uh, and so he's called these Ephesian elders to himself, and if you uh, need a refresher as to what he has been communicating to them, what he essentially has been communicating to them is his pattern for Christian ministry. And as we have applied it thus far, we have noted that in the pattern of Christian ministry that Paul has laid out, both in front of these elders as well as to the whole church at Ephesus, it is an example that we all can follow. In what sense? Well, in the sense that Paul has committed himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord over his life in every aspect, and so his Christian ministry is totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this means is that the commands that the Lord has given to him in serving the Lord's church, he will live out, and the commands that he has given to him in reaching the lost with the gospel, he will do. And even more than this, the way he views his own life is only val- as it being only valuable in the fact that he is able to be poured out for the ministry that Christ has given to himself. He's not concerned about himself, but rather he is concerned that the Lord Lord Jesus Christ would be magnified in his life and through his ministry. Well, as we come to this passage here today in Acts chapter 20, verse 25 to verse 28, really the whole speech of Paul begins at verse 17 and goes all the way into verse 38. Uh, what we can say that we have done thus far in looking at this uh, passage is that we've looked at it such as like you would look at a painting from afar. You've looked at the painting from afar and have viewed it in terms of a, its broadness, and, and you've looked at a number of different uh, ideas about it that Paul has presented. We've looked at how all of us in the Christian ministry can have a ministry unto the Lord, but really when we come to this portion now and in the coming weeks, what we're going to be considering is Paul's declaration to these men here who have been specifically called to lead the church there at Ephesus. We're going to see the ministry charge that Paul lays out for the Ephesian elders, and by that, be able to understand the utmost importance that we must also understand that it needs to exist in our fellowship as the body of Christ, namely that the elders in the church or the pastors of the church are the foundational individuals who are going to move Christ's church along as it is expressed in its local body. Now, before someone might say this passage then only has importance for the pastors, we must never view it as such because the life of the local church is directly dependent upon the pastoral leadership of its body. Therefore, we ought to know the responsibilities of the pastors in order that we will be able to call them to their responsibilities, as well as being praying for them in order that they would be able to shepherd the flock of God as they have been called to do. Paul is going to make it crystal clear that if the church is to be successful in Ephesus as it is battling against the spiritual warfare that is, in, that is in Ephesus, the elders' lives must be right in order that they would be able to shepherd God's church. And so turn with me just to see the brief uh, introduction of Paul's speech to the elders here in verse 25 into verse 28, where we note a few characteristics that the elders are to have in their ministry. Acts chapter 20, verse 25 to 28, he says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day that we have to be able to come and consider your word. Lord, we thank you for each individual who is here today to be able to come under the knowledge of your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be attuned to the work of the Spirit that flows through this particular passage here, that our hearts would be ready to learn and understand and apply the truths that are before us here today, and also that we would be able to just simply uh, rejoice uh, in what you are doing through our fellowship here as you are continually leading us uh, by your Spirit uh, and, and, and are equipping us with individuals here who are qualified to be able to shepherd the flock of God here at the First Baptist Church of Hollywood. Lord, we just thank you for your blessings upon our fellowship, and we ask that you would just uh, grow us today as we come under the inspiration of your Word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, there has always been a premium placed upon leadership among the people of God. And this premium that is placed upon the leadership of the people of God is set by none other than God Himself. 
Now, God always makes it clear when dealing with Israel or with His church that He is the supreme leader of His people, but He often will uh, dole out leadership functions to individuals who He specially equips to be able to lead either the people of Israel or lead the church during this dispensation. You say, what does this look like? Well, to say that he delegates his leadership, I think, would be to err because God does not just simply say, you do this, and I'm going to you know, leave you to your own devices and do whatever it is that you want to do. Now, when God calls specific men to be leaders either of Israel or of his church, he specifically calls and therefore equips them in order that they would be able to fulfill his will amongst his own people. Now, in the Old Testament, the way that God did this was through the giving of His commandments and His laws and by calling forward specific men who, of whom some He filled with His Spirit in order that they would be able to lead the people of God uh, throughout the uh, Old Testament pages of Scripture. We have seen Him do this through the prophets, through the priests, and through the kings. He often would call specific men to specific leadership positions in order that they would be able to shepherd the people of God. The priests were those who were going to be the mediators of God's covenant. They were the ones that were going to be the ones who would offer up the sacrifices that the people would bring in order that they would be able to have a temporary covering of sin where God would receive that sacrifice on the altar as the priests mediated that sacrifice on behalf of those people in order that they would be able to have a relationship with God that was not constantly stained by the presence of sin. Still, you also had those who would be the kings. We are often familiar with King David, uh, the great leader of the people of Israel. He was one among many who was called and equipped by God to be able to lead the people of Israel, not only in God's ways, but also to protect them from the works of the enemy nations who were seeking to overthrow them. And also we could say that the prophets were given the task which can be summarized in God's Word spoken through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. And so you had the priests who were the mediators of God's covenant. You had the kings who were the protectors of the people. And you had the prophets who were to say every single thing that God told for them to say. And all of these leaders were vital to God's plan of leadership amongst his people. But if you're familiar with anything in the Old Testament pages of Scripture, you know that these leaders often failed and erred because they themselves were still stained by the presence of sin. They failed in their leadership. Every priest, every king, and every prophet failed in their leadership because they were stained by the presence of sin. They themselves were sinners, yet God still used them in order that He would be able to move His people along until one day the Messiah Himself would come and lead the people rightly, perfectly. The prophets, the priests, and all of the kings, every single one of them awaited the day that the Messiah would come in order to redeem God's people from their sins and to protect them from the enemy nations that were seeking to constantly overthrow them. This Messiah would be the one who was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would come to the Father but through Him. He would present Himself as the perfect atonement for the people's sins, and He would ensure that no enemy would gain victory over the people of God. Whether it be the nations, whether it be sin, or whether it be death, this Messiah who was to come was going to conquer everything that got in the way of the people of God's relationship with Him. The Messiah, who is also called the Anointed One, is the one who would come and lead the people of God rightly. And God's promise of this one who would come can be found throughout all of the pages of Old Testament Scripture. But one such example demonstrates this, uh, this coming promise that this Messiah would be able to fulfill in leading the people of God. He would come and be the good shepherd of God's people. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter, 36, verse, or chapter 34, verse 11 to verse 16, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." 
But we know that this is the one who has come, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We know that the people of God are no longer waiting for their perfect leader any longer. They're no longer waiting for that perfect priest, that perfect king, that perfect prophet who would be able to not only lead the people of God out from their sinful ways, but also lead them to God Himself as He brings them into God's presence on that final day. To summarize the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we need only look to Hebrews chapter 1. If you flip in your Bibles with me there, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, it uh, delineates to us the prophetic ministry of Christ, the priestly ministry of Christ, and the kingship of Christ, all that He Himself has received and actually has lived out for all eternity. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs." You see, Jesus gave Himself up as our great high priest to be the atonement for our sins. And more than this, He also, being the perfect sacrifice, allows for us to have a life that is declared righteous by God because the righteousness of Christ is imputed on our behalf in order that we ourselves can be declared righteous in the sight of God. Jesus Himself, as He lived this perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and went to the grave, rose from the grave to ever live to lead the people of God perfectly. He would be their good shepherd. He would be the way, the truth, and the life. He would be the one who would lead God's people perfectly. Now, one might surmise from this that there is no longer a need for the people of God to have an earthly leader. Jesus being ascended as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, reigning and ruling over all of His creation, one might say that there is not a necessity for the church to be led by anyone because Jesus Himself leads them. And this is true. Anyone who says that they don't need, that they don't need Jesus to lead them, that, that you need to follow them, is seeking to draw followers unto themselves. The church needs Jesus to lead them. But you see, what Jesus does is the same thing that we see happening in the Old Testament. God Himself, Jesus being God Himself, has given out responsibilities of leadership amongst His church in order that the people of God would be able to be led while Jesus Himself ultimately will one day call us home. Jesus is not abdicating His leadership, however. Jesus is rather actively working through these men in order that He would be able to equip them as their chief shepherd in order that they would be able to lead the people of God as the under-shepherds. You see, Jesus has called specific men who He has specifically equipped by His Spirit to lead His church. The church, as we know in John chapter 21, is often called the flock of God or or God's sheep or Jesus' sheep. And he says to Peter, and he says to those men who have followed after Peter's footsteps, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. This is a call from Jesus Christ Himself who is giving out leadership responsibilities to His under-shepherds while He lives and reigns forever as the chief shepherd of the people of God. The people that Jesus calls as the under-shepherds are to shepherd God's people. In John chapter 10, verse 11, we read about Jesus as our good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. And also in 1 Peter 2, 25, we learn of Jesus as being the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. And again, one might say, well, Jesus is the great shepherd. I don't need anyone to lead me. I have Jesus leading me. And yet, Jesus Himself has specifically called under-shepherds who would be able to lead His flock to Himself. These men are not called to lead people to themselves. Rather, they are, as we can consider this flock analogy, they are like the sheep who are in front of the rest of the flock, calling the rest of the sheep, follow forward after the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Continue, continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We are simply meaning to to draw you closer to Him through our ministry. Peter uh, recognizes this, and in 1 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, says something about this, which is very important for all of us to consider as we ourselves follow the shepherds that God has placed in His church. 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, he re- we read, and I'll get there in a second, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, here in our passage today, we learn from Paul's emotionally charged speech to these men, these elders or shepherds or overseers. All of these terms are synonymous with the position of pastor within the local church. He, he has this emotionally charged speech to a few of these men who have been specifically called by Christ to shepherd a specific flock of God which was located in the town of Ephesus. And Paul himself calls them to attention in order that he would be able to say, listen, I'm leaving you guys now. I'm no longer going to be amongst you as a pastor amongst this flock. But as I leave, I'm going to call to mind what it is you need to be doing as you have been given the oversight of the people of God there in Ephesus. He sets forward a number of priorities that they are to have as it pertains to shepherding God's sheep as they themselves have been given oversight through the Spirit of God's call upon their lives. And you say, well, what is the job of a shepherd? What does the shepherd do? Well, as I've mentioned, we're going to be looking at this for the next couple of weeks in order that we can understand rightfully how God calls for His church to be led by the shepherds or the pastors or the elders, whatever you want to call them. And we turn first to verse 25 to verse 27 to see one aspect of these shepherds' ministries in which they must give noted attention to. If they fail in this, they have failed as a shepherd, their sheep will be malnourished, and you will have a church that is just churning out a factory of malnourished Christians and not those who are growing up into maturity. What are they to do? Well, first 25 to 27, Paul tells them the first priority, and again, not necessarily in any order, but it just comes to us in this way. 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul, as we know, is laying out his example of Christian ministry there to these Ephesian elders, and he's saying, as I have led while I was there, follow in my example. And what was Paul's example? He did not shrink from declaring to them and to the whole church at Ephesus the whole counsel of God. In other words, we can say he fed the sheep. He was one who was ensuring that the sheep were having a healthy diet as he found himself there in Ephesus. Now, if you have been with us in Acts chapter 20 since it began, you know that Paul is making his way into Jerusalem. He is traveling and finishing up his third missionary journey. He's traveled all around Asia. He's traveled all around Europe, and he's making his way, having taken up a collection of offering for the Jerusalem saints. He's making his way back through the Aegean Sea. He went into the Aegean Sea. He landed at Troas, stayed there for a couple days. He went down the coast, and now he stopped off at Miletus. And knowing that he has a few days there, he calls the elders from Ephesus to himself in order that he could give them some final instructions. As he says, I'm never going to see you again. Now, why does he say this? Well, this goes back just a few verses in verse 23. He says, the Spirit testifies to him in every city that imprisonment and afflictions will await him. Therefore, he can say to these elders, never going to see you again. I'm probably going to die. I'll be in prison. And so knowing that he's not going to see these men again, he wants to ensure that he is going to set them on the right path in order that they would be able to shepherd the flock of God rightfully. That is his position as as an apostle, as one who would plant the seed of the gospel. He would plant the seed of the church there, and he would appoint elders who would be there to help water and grow the work of ministry that he himself set the foundation of as being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so knowing that he's never going to see them again, he tells them in verse 26 and 27 the first emphasis of his ministry, which was he declared to them the whole counsel of God. Therefore, he was innocent of the blood of all men. And you say, what is he talking about here? How does declaring the whole counsel of God, how does that have anything to do with the blood of individuals? You know, you're saying, well, what is Paul referring to? Well, Paul is referring to imagery which was prominent throughout the prophet Ezekiel's ministry. And during the prophet Ezekiel's ministry, God gave Ezekiel on numerous occasions this command that he was to proclaim all of God's word. And if he did not, what was going to happen was God was going to require the blood of those people on Ezekiel's account. 
If Ezekiel did not proclaim all of God's Word, the blood of those individuals' heads would be on Ezekiel's count. Not to condemnation, but he would be chastised by God for not declaring what God had told him to declare. One such example is in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33, verse 1, we read to verse 9. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them away, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you you do not speak to the wicked to warn him to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And so what is Paul talking about here? Well, Paul is noting that as an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, he is responsible for declaring to Christ's sheep all of the Word of God. Whatever Christ tells him to say, he needs to say. If he does not say it, what is going to happen is he is going to have the blood of those people on his hands. He is going to, it is going to lead to the displeasure of Christ towards Paul. And so Paul says, listen, I have an obligation to you to feed you the Word of God, and that is what I am going to do. I'm going to tell you the hard truths. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear. I am going to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God because I am under obligation from my chief shepherd to do just that. Were I to uh, uh, misuse the Word of God or were I to hold back any of the Word of God, not only would it leave you malnourished, but it would lead to the displeasure of the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the pastoral ministry has an obligation. Any pastor in the church has an obligation to give the church the whole counsel of God's Word. And if they do not, not only do they leave the church malnourished, but they also find themselves facing the displeasure of their chief shepherd, and he will discipline them for such reasons or for those reasons. You see, the pastoral ministry is not a position that anyone should take up on their own volition nor without careful consideration. They must count the cost of their ministry. James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We're going to stand before the Lord, myself and Pastor Richard and anyone else who is called to the position of an elder, and we are going to be judged with a greater strictness than others of you are going to be judged. And, and generally, that judgment is going to be relegated to the fact of, did we proclaim to you the whole counsel of God's Word? Did we proclaim to you all that God has said, or out of fear of what you might think or out of fear of what someone else might think, did we hold back or did we limit the amount of God's counsel to only what we thought you might want to hear? We're going to stand before God in this. You see, three times the Lord repeated a charge to Peter uh, when Peter was restored to the ministry after he had denied Christ three times. And what did Peter say, or what did the Lord say to Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And the Lord says, feed my sheep. Again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And again a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Now, we know the Lord's not talking about feeding some lambs that the Lord Himself had as He was maybe a shepherd of earthly sheep. He's talking about His sheep, the flock of God, the elect of God who have been called out before the foundation of the world that Christ would entrust to their care as they were localized in the different fellowships of the body of Christ. He is saying, feed these believers. What is the food for the believer? Do we give you physical food? Well, certainly we can do that. But to do that, we would leave you malnourished in what it is you really need. And what you really need is the Word of God. And if the pastor is to feed the sheep, he must preach the whole counsel of God's Word because that is the spiritual nourishment that you as sheep need. It's the nourishment that I as a sheep need. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Isaiah 55, 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. You see, the shepherd is to feed the sheep all the food from God's Word. Now, continuing with this analogy here, we say, what happens when the shepherd doesn't feed the sheep? You know, you ever watch a video with a shepherd and his sheep? What would happen to the sheep if they did not eat? What happens to you if you don't eat? But you become hungry, you starve, you become now nourished, neglected, sick, weak, and often if you're hungry, what you're going to do is the same thing a sheep's going to do. The sheep's going to stray away from its shepherd to try to find some food, and it's going to be enticed away by someone who's saying, I got some good food for you right here, sheep. Come on over here. Come take some candy, right? You know, as they often will do. Uh, you're going to take that sheep, and that sheep's going to be led astray. Or what is also going to happen, especially in the case of a sheep, which is unable to find food for its nourishment, a wolf is going to find it, and it is going to devour that sheep. Therefore, the shepherd is responsible to feed the sheep, not only that they do not become malnourished or sick or weak or wander around looking for food, but also that they do not become prey for the wolves. Now, in Israel, this shepherd analogy is supremely important because that was the, uh, that was the uh, job of the day. It was a job that anyone who, who heard the shepherd and the sheep, the analogy would be readily understood. And you go back to Ezekiel chapter 34, you're going to find that Ezekiel is very helpful in this uh, study that we have concerning the pastor's work of ministry. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord gives out a lament against the shepherds of Israel that He had called who were not leading the people of Israel rightfully. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we see what happens when the shepherd abdicate their, their oversight over the sheep of Israel. Ezekiel 34 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek out for them. Now, can you imagine a shepherd who does not feed their sheep? Can you imagine how terrible of a shepherd that would be? Can you imagine how terrible of this shepherd would be who says, I'm not concerned with my sheep? The, the, the sheep, the animals that have been entrusted to its care, he says, don't worry, you know, just figure it out for yourselves. The sheep don't have the cognizant ability to be able to do that. They are therefore under the oversight of their shepherd to lead them to the place of feeding. Or take another example. Imagine the shepherd only feeds a few of his sheep. You know, he has favoritism. I like this one, this one, and that one. I'm just going to feed them. It's going to lead to a very malnourished flock. The same way for the pastor or the shepherd of the church. The shepherds of the church are to feed God's sheep lest they leave them spiritually malnourished. And they are to not pick favorites in whom they see fit to teach, but rather they are to gather the church together. This is why we have the Sunday worship and the Wednesday times, so that we can gather all of the church together in order that we will be able to equip you with the Word of God. You see, the shepherd has a responsibility to feed all the flock of God and to feed all the flock of God, uh, all the flock of God, the food equally. This was Paul's task while he was with the elders, and they needed to continue in this. The elders were to follow after the example of the apostle Paul in feeding the sheep of God. You say, how uh, how much of an importance did Paul place on this? How much was Paul feeding the sheep there in Ephesus? Well, you just need to look back one chapter in Acts chapter nineteen. Acts chapter 19, verse 9 to 10, he's in Ephesus here, and it says, starting at verse 9, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. He was reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus in order that the people of God would be able to gather in order that he would be able to feed them God's word. He also will say later in verse 31 of Acts chapter 20, he did not cease to admonish them night and day with tears. He gave a utmost importance to teaching God's people God's word. He would declare to them the whole counsel of God. 
And you say, what does this look like in our day? What does this practice look like in our day? Well, I can think of a few things. One is that the pastor is to be willing to proclaim all of God's Word without wavering because of the opinion of man or anyone else. You know, there's just this past week I saw an individual who was preaching, and he was preaching to his congregation knowing full well God has said that those who practice acts of homosexuality are therefore guilty of condemnation. Knowing full well that God has said that, he is feeding his sheep, he is proclaiming to his sheep, I don't know why God did this this way. I wish it was different, but you know, God just said this, and so I'm just going to proclaim this to you as such. He says, I wish that the food that my master has given to me to feed you was, was different, but it's not, and so therefore, you know, you need to eat it. I still love you, and I still want you to be here, and I still want to care for you, and I, and I still am going to, you know, tickle your ears by not really fully harping on the fact that that, that that type of lifestyle needs to be repented of and fled from for anyone professing to believe, be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, I don't know why my master fed me this food, but I'm here to feed it for you. What does that do to the congregation? congregation. It confuses them. It confuses them in one sense by thinking, okay, if, if the pastor's saying, you know, I don't know why God said this, or if the pastor thinks that God should not have said this, well, it leads to confusion in their minds, and it also directly disregards the clear command that pastors have to preach God's Word. We are not to make apologies for God when we preach His Word. We are not to say, oh, I, you know, I wish God didn't say this. I, I wish He didn't say that. Rather, we are to contend for the faith that was once and for all declared by the apostles and the prophets. Never wavering on God's Word. Never saying, you know, you know I hope this isn't going to offend you guys here. But rather, preach the Word. Jude in Jude chapter 1, verse uh, 3 and verse 4 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ." Now, there are people who have crept into the church, that, even today, that are preaching this heresy that says that to be LGBTQ plus is to be right with God. I heard one pastor on an Easter sermon just this past week say he saw the Easter message personified when the enactment of abortion was signed in our land. These guys are leading the flock of God astray, totally denying God's Word. They are not standing on the counsel of God's Word. Therefore, the pastor, if he is given a word from God, not necessarily in the prophetic sense, but rather if he opens up to the Scripture and this is where God is having him preach God's Word, he must declare the entire counsel of God's Word without wavering in order that he would be able to feed the sheep as the shepherd has intended for him to do. And so then the elder must declare to the sheep the whole counsel of God's Word. Feed my sheep is what Jesus said to Peter, uh, one of the shepherds that he commissioned. So also is it the same for us. We must feed the sheep of God. The shepherd is responsible for doing this, and if he does not, he has failed in his duties as a shepherd. But still, there are other responsibilities for the shepherd as he is called to give oversight to the people of God. Secondly, we see in verse 28, verse 28, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. And we'll stop right there because that's the second point. The shepherd is to keep watch over their own lives. It is not enough for them to just be worried about all that you are doing, not getting all up in your business, but rather they themselves are to be responsible for their own lives. Now, there's many ways that we can approach this truth. You know, the pastor is to be holy. He is to be above reproach. He is to be one who is the husband of one wife, as you read the, uh, the, uh, uh, the commandments in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also in Titus chapter 1. There's many ways that we can approach this fact that the pastor is to watch over his own life. But given that, this is under the heading or the context in Acts chapter 20 of their care for the church. Why is it important that the pastor watch over his own life? Well, if he's not watching over his own life, how is he going to be able to care for the sheep? If he's not protected from the enemy, if he himself is not rooted in God's Word, if he himself is not living a life that is above reproach, there is no way, shape, or form that he is going to be able to lead the people of God. This is a theme that is constantly laid down throughout the pastoral epistles as Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus. One such example is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. You say, again, why is this so important? 
Why must the pastor be above reproach, as Paul lists in the qualifications for elders, both in 1 Timothy and also in Titus? Why be above reproach? Why is it of utmost importance that the pastor live a godly life, especially as it pertains to his care for his own congregation that God has given him the oversight of? Well, one such example is, uh, is this. If the, pastor, if the pastor himself... If the pastor himself is not able to lead a life that is holy, that is going to rub off negatively on the people of God. Now you say, where's an example of this? Hosea chapter 4, verse 9. Hosea chapter 4, verse 9, the Lord is lamenting the fact that the people have turned away from God. And he says just this, this statement, and it shall be like people, like priests. You say, what does that mean? Well, God is essentially saying the way that the, priest, that the priests go is the way that the people are going to go. The way that the people go is going to be the way that the priests are leading them. Therefore, it's the same for those who are shepherds of the church. The way the pastor goes is the way the people are going to go. Now, let me illustrate this for you in a present-day example. You say, what's an example of this? Take a pastor who loves money. Take a pastor, and there's plenty of pastors who have a love for money, and we know this is a clear command in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They are to not be lovers of money. Why is this command so important? Well, not only for his own holiness, not only for his own walk with the Lord, but if the pastor is a lover of money, he's going to turn his people into a lover of money. You need only look to the Word, Faith, Prosperity movement to see that is the case. All of those people who go to those churches go because they love money. And they love money because their pastors love money. And their pastors love fleecing the flock there and taking all the money from those people by giving them empty promises that says, if you just give this seed to God, God's going to bless you tremendously. And these pastors have turned these individuals into lovers of money just as they themselves are lovers of money. You see, the pastors are not to be lovers of money, not only for their own holiness, but also because they are leading the people of God. And if they lead the people of God to be lovers of money, God is going to require that at their own heads. You see, the pastors have plenty of times turned these people into lovers of money, and we need only look to present-day congregations to see this is the case. Take, for example, your pastor has no self-control or is a drunkard. What is the church going to be looking like? The church is just going to be a factory of sinners. Now, this is not to say that we need to be legalistic in this. This is not to say that we need to constantly, uh, you know, call out people's sins totally and supremely in front of everyone, but it is to say that if the pastor himself is not living a holy life, it is going to rub off on the people of God tremendously, like people, like priests, or like priests, like people. It is going to be the case that the people of God are going to be steered away. You see, if people love money or if the pastor loves money, the people are going to be lovers of money. If a pastor lacks self-control and is a drunkard or quarrelsome, the people are going to become a factory of sinners. And as Paul says point blank, if the pastor cannot take care of his own life, how in the world can he take care of the church? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. You see, let me put it this way for us if we don't understand the example just yet. If the pastor has not kept a close watch on his own pattern of godliness, when it comes time to preach the Word of God to the individuals of his church, his flock, or when it comes time to call his own flock out of a sinful lifestyle that they themselves are living in, his authority of oversight over their lives is going to have a minimal, a minimal amount of importance. If the pastor loves money and he tells his church to not love money, the church is going to say, you love money. What are you talking about? If the pastor says, don't commit adultery, and yet he himself is committing adultery, the church is going to say, what are you talking about here? You have no authority over us here. But if the pastor is living a godly life, and he is living a life that is in unison with what the Word of God prescribes to the pastors to be living, then as he calls his church to respond to the Word of God, and as he calls his church to respond in holiness, his church will be able to lead in his footsteps. He is to be an example to the flock not domineering over them, not just telling them what to do, not just saying, you do this, do this, this, that, and the other, and I just, you know, those are rules for thee, not for me. I do what I want. No, that is not the case. The pastor is to be an example to the flock, and if he is not an example to the flock, his authority is worthless. He is in no position to guide those individuals. Countless times we have seen this happen in a pastor's life where he at one point or time has the oversight of the church, but because he himself is living in a lifestyle pattern of sin, when that comes to light and the church is faithful to call their leaders to the leadership position that they are to be in, 
That pastor's credibility is shot. He is disqualified from ministry, and the church is searching out for new elders or for new shepherds to guide them as the people of God. Now, can you imagine a shepherd who does not watch over his own life while also trying to take care of his sheep? This is looking at it in a sense where a, a, a literal shepherd and also some literal sheep. Imagine a shepherd who's out of shape. Imagine a shepherd who's always, you know, just busy on his own. On his own. He's, you know, he's trying to start another business and he's got his sheep over here. What's going to happen to those sheep? If the pastor's not watching over his own life, the sheep are themselves going to run amok, and they are ultimately going to be devoured by wolves. It's really a lot of hard work caring for sheep. Just this week, I was watching a YouTube video of a shepherd caring for his sheep. There's a lot of work for a shepherd in caring for his sheep. He's got to lead them to the pastures to graze. He's got to lead them to the wells to draw up water for them to drink. He must shear their coats lest they become rife with dirt and lead to infection. He's got to get them all gathered up into the sheep pen at night so no one can come and attack them. And when they stray away, he's got to go and find them. And he also has to constantly be on the lookout for wolves who are seeking to devour them. It is hard, hard work being a shepherd. And if the shepherd is not right, the sheep will not be right. Therefore, the whole church, the flock of God, and its local fellowship is going to be in disarray. But if the shepherd is right, and if the shepherd is leading a life that is honorable to God, the church itself will be moving forward and being trained up in the way in which God has intended for the church to be brought up. As we look at this positively, if the shepherd is right, the people will be right. This is going to happen. As the Lord has said through the prophet Hosea, like people, like priests, we can say like people, like shepherds. If the pastors are leading the church in godliness, it will follow that the church itself, the flock of God, will be leading godly lives. But if the pastors themselves are not watching over their lives, not only are they not going to lead the church well, but false teachers are going to come in, and as they grow, those individuals who have been called to the position of elder or shepherd in the church, they're not going to be watchful, and these individuals are going to get in, and they are going to fleece the flock. They are going to take advantage of the flock. The pastor is to watch over the sheep. This leads us to our third point. See, the pastor is to watch over his own life in order that he can watch over the sheep in whom he has been given oversight, in whom have been entrusted to him, not by some earthly master, but rather by the Lord Christ's sheep, of whom we all as believers are amongst the fold. Even the pastors are sheep. They merely have been given oversight by their great shepherd to watch over the sheep. Again, this is in verse 28. We continue the verse. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now we stop there. We are to be watching over the sheep, or again, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you oversight. You say, why does the pastor watch over the sheep? Why does the pastor become the one who has the oversight over the church? Why are the elders the leaders of the church? Is it because they have supplanted themselves in the dominant position in the church? No, it is because the Spirit of God has given them the oversight. As the church calls shepherds to come and lead them, the Holy Spirit is at work throughout that whole congregation, and that congregation is saying as it supports and calls up pastors to the pastoral ministry in its church, these are our leaders, these are our shepherds, and this is affirmed in the, unanimity or the, the unity of the body of Christ as the Spirit of God is working through each and every one of them to call these shepherds into that position. You see, the shepherd is not to take this oversight on his own accord. Rather, they are to be appointed to this position of oversight by God himself. It is the position that Pastor Richard and I myself are in, not because we have been taken it by force or because we paid you off to, make us vote, to have you vote us in as pastors. We have not done that. We have not done some political push where we are able to get the support of enough individuals to be able to lead. There's no politics in the church. In fact, there should not be politics in the church. A pastor does not come into position of an elder because they have the most money or because they have the most uh, esteem in the world. The pastor is supported and called by the church because God has himself has called this person into that ministry position, and therefore the church has affirmed that and has called them into that position themselves. Now note this also here in this particular passage, and it's also in a couple other areas. When the church has pastors or shepherds leading them, it is never a lone shepherd. 
The, the lone shepherd, the, the great shepherd, there's only one great shepherd, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ calls his shepherds to lead his church, he always calls a plurality of shepherds to come into that fellowship to care for the body of Christ. There are no lone elders. There are to be no lone elders amongst the people of God. There would be no one who just has their own ministry for God. It's like when Paul talks to the church in Corinth, and they say, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos. These are all individuals who are working in the church. Paul says, what are you talking about here? You don't follow one of them. You're crazy. There's not one pastor who leads you. It's not me, Paul. It's not, me. It's not Cephas. It's not Apollos. It's Jesus Christ himself. We are merely the chief shepherds who are pointing you to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Titus 1.5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put, in what, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Now also, as we look to Acts chapter 20 here, we see that when Paul is addressing these elders here, it is always in the plural. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church church to come to him. And then in verse 28, when it says that they are overseers, he doesn't say one overseer. He says he has made you overseers to care for the church of God. There is a plurality of men here who are called overseers. This is the word episkopoi. And this word episkopoi is the where, where the, is, uh, has been translated into the English word bishop, or has been uh, 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 yeah, translated into the English word to mean a bishop. Now, you've probably heard of a bishop in the Episcopal church. Paul's not speaking about it in that sense. He's merely denoting a function that the elders of the church there in Ephesus are to have over the individuals who have been entrusted to their care. They are to be given the oversight over them. Now, if Paul's not using this term in the ecclesiastical sense to describe a member of clergy like the Episcopal church might do, what's he saying this for? Why, why do these shepherds have oversight? Why have they been made overseers? Why, why is it that, that the pastors or the shepherds of the church are to be the overseers? And, and if they are the overseers, what does this even mean? Well, the word episcopoi is composed of two parts. One part meaning scopioi or scopio, which means to look over or to look after. And uh, that comes from the word epi, which means over. So when you take the word together, episcopoi, it means to look over something. They are to have oversight over something. Therefore, when he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, he is saying you are called to look over that church. You are called to be the watchman for that church. All of you men, all of you elders who have been called to that position of ministry there at whatever church, the First Baptist Church of Ephesus, they are to be given the oversight there. Now, there was no Baptist church back then. It's just an example for our day. They are given the oversight over that church. You say, what does someone who watches over someone else do? Well, in the case of the pastor, they are to watch to make sure that the sheep are following the chief shepherd. Again, I use that analogy that just as myself and Pastor Richard are shepherds, we are still amongst the flock of Jesus Christ. And so we're kind of at the front of the pack, and we're looking back at all the other sheep and saying, follow this guy here, follow the chief shepherd here. Again, we're not trying to draw followers to ourselves. We're not trying to support our own ministry or to make ourselves become uh, famous among men. Rather, we are simply to be given the task of leading people to follow the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the Jesus Christ has given that opportunity to us as his under-shepherds, we not only are making sure that the church is following after Jesus Christ, but we are also ensuring that no, no wolves are coming in to take advantage of you all. We are there to make sure that no wolves come in to fleece the flock, as the uh, book of Second Peter says. They're trying to take the money from the pockets of the sheep. They see them as easy targets, individuals that they can get wealthy off of. We see it happen all the time with the fake seeds that people are offering to individuals. These people are fleecing the flock. We need to make sure that the church is an, uh, uh, enabled to be able to be protected as the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are given the oversight over the church. The under-shepherd, as he is given the oversight of the church, he himself is directing people to follow the Lord Jesus Christ's direction. Therefore, what this means is as the under-shepherd, the under-shepherds are the ones who are going to set the direction in which the sheep are going to go. They give the leadership of the church. They set the direction of the church. They guide the church to Jesus Christ, and the path of the Lord Jesus Christ is therefore leading them into they are ones who are committed to prayer, they are committed to God's Word, and they themselves are, as they have been equipped by the Spirit of God to lead the church of God, leading the sheep. 
They are leading the sheep. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the sheep leading its shepherd? You ever see the shepherd behind the sheep and the sheep's pointing out where that shepherd needs to go? It doesn't happen, right? It, it's, it's the, the order is reversed. It's the same way in the church. The shepherd is never led by the sheep. The sheep are always led by the shepherd. The pastors are not led by the church. The pastors lead the church to the way in which they need to go in order that the church then would be able to affirm that and move forward in that pattern of ministry in, the, in which the pastors are seeking to guide the church into that direction. Now, as you think about this analogy, again, I've said, have you ever seen a flock of sheep leading a shepherd? Also, we could take this analogy. Do you ever see the sheep telling the shepherd where they want to eat? You look at an example. You watch YouTube. You can see this. The shepherds always lead the sheep to the field in which they are to eat of. They always take them there, and the sheep eat. It's actually, there's some studies that have been done. The sheep don't know where to find food. They don't know where to properly graze. And if they do find a place to graze, what often happens is they end up overeating, and they ruin their field, and therefore they have no food, and they leave themselves spiritually malnourished. You're never going to see a sheep leading the shepherd to where it wants to eat. However, what you will see, and this is important for us to remember, you will see the sheep maybe say to the shepherd, not in physical terms, but they may say, we don't like this food here. This food ain't cutting it. And you know, they're bad all the way, and the shepherd says, I'll take you to another field, and we'll eat somewhere else. But the, still, the, the, the order never becomes reversed. The shepherd is always leading the sheep as he is bringing them to the fields in which they are called to eat of. Also, we could ask this question ourselves also. Did the sheep protect the shepherd when the wolves come? No. Then that's because the shepherd has the oversight of the sheep. Now, don't mistake me in this. As I mentioned, when the shepherd leads the sheep to the field to graze, the sheep can decide whether they want to eat. The sheep can decide who their shepherds are. But when the sheep have decided who their shepherds are, they are called to submit to their shepherds as ones who have been given the oversight of their lives. You see, the primary task of leadership belongs to the shepherds, not the sheep. The shepherds oversee the sheep. Now, do not think for a minute that this is to the shepherd's own benefit here. The shepherd gets nothing from the sheep. You know, he may uh, shave their fleece off of them. He may sell their wool. But outside of that, he doesn't get really much else from that. He himself is a servant of the sheep. Never mistake that order. Even though the shepherd is the leader, he still is the servant of those sheep. He's got to take them where they need to eat and walk those long miles to find that food for them. If the wolves come, he's got to protect them from the wolves. If they need some water to drink, he's got to go down into that well and pull that water up from the well in order that the sheep are able to drink. The shepherd is the servant of the sheep. But still, in that service to the sheep, he himself gives the oversight of their lives. This is how it ought to be for the church. A good shepherd ought to be a servant of his sheep since he is ensuring that they themselves are cared for. You see, as overseers of the sheep, Pastor Richard and myself, we are watching over you for your benefit and not for ours. We're making sure that you are protected and fed and led, and, and the shepherd is to be serving the sheep. Now, there is much benefit in serving here at the First Baptist Church. Don't mistake me here in this. But the ultimate priority of Pastor Richard in my own life is to ensure that the sheep are well cared for. First Peter chapter 5, which I read early, again denotes this. A shepherd never takes his leadership by, over, by dominance or, or to uh, rule with an iron fist, but rather he is to be a servant of the sheep, an example to these sheep. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, as I turn there again, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." You see, the shepherd is to lead the sheep not because he's compulsed to do it. He doesn't have a compulsion where he says, I've just got to do this. Rather, he willingly leads the sheep because he loves the sheep whom his chief shepherd gave his life for. You see, the shepherd leads the sheep not, as, not of compulsion, not to fleece the flock, not to dominate the flock, but rather the shepherds lead the sheep faithfully as God would have because they know how precious the sheep are to him. Really, in our oversight for you, Pastor Richard and myself, ultimately our oversight comes under the heading that we are to take care of you. We are to shepherd you. That word care, that word that says that they are to care for you in verse 28 there where you are to care for the church of God, it is the word poimeno, which means to shepherd. It's where we get the English word pastor. And when that word is there, poimeno, everything 
Everything that a shepherd does comes under that heading. The pastor or the, or the shepherd who is caring for the sheep is to feed the sheep, they're to protect the sheep, they are to watch out for the sheep, they are to water the sheep, they're to shave the sheep, they're to do everything for the sheep. They are to care for the sheep of God. Now, in some of your translations, it might say to feed the sheep, and that is really the context of this passage here. As the shepherd is called to care for the sheep, of utmost importance is the shepherd's responsibility to make sure that the sheep are well fed. Sure, in caring for their needs, we will bind your wounds. We will guide you to feed upon God's Word. We will protect you from false teachers. We will equip you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will do all, under that, all that under the heading of proclaiming the whole counsel of of God. We will proclaim the whole counsel of God to you. We will protect the sheep, and we will feed the sheep. In other words, as Paul says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to these elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so therefore, we see just from this initial look into verse 25, into verse 28, that the pastor's call is a supreme, supremely important call that is not to be taken lightly. What are you to do as the congregation or those who are under the pastor's care? Well, Hebrews 13, verse 17, knowing the great responsibility of the pastors of the church, of the church says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, this does not mean that the sheep have no voice, nor does it mean that they are to blindly follow the shepherd. But if the shepherd is leading the sheep in the direction that the Lord Jesus Christ is leading them thereby, the church itself is to submit to the leadership of those men that they have, that have been entrusted to their care. Now, understandably, what has happened as a result of the influx of teachers, false teachers, that is, coming into the church, is that the sheep have often had to protect themselves against those false shepherds who have come in. Many true shepherds of God, many true pastors of God have not been able to, uh, or actually, rather, many false shepherds of God have led the sheep to protect themselves in such a way that the sheep protecting themselves prohibits or limits the ability for true shepherds to come in to be able to properly care for God's sheep. Now, there's much good in the sheep protecting themselves from the false shepherds, but where it goes wrong often is that in protecting itself from the false shepherds, it can also restrict those shepherds who are seeking to lead the sheep to the chief shepherd in that alone, and that is to the detriment of the church. When the church covers itself from being able to be uh, 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 led astray by false teachers and thereby also leads itself to being mis uh, uh, unable to be led by true teachers of God, it leads to their own detriment. You see, a man who has been appointed by God to shepherd Christ's sheep and who takes this call seriously will be used by God to bless the church tremendously. I mentioned this point at the beginning in which I said the life of the local church is directly dependent upon the pastoral leadership of its body. I wish to support it now by Scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Here in these two verses, it denotes to us quite clearly that the primary task of the church is being equipped, or the primary way in which the church becomes equipped for its works of ministry is through the leadership of its fellowship. Through the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers, God has given to the church in order to bless the church. Not that they would be able to be praised by the church, but to serve as an example to the church to lead them to their chief shepherd, who these shepherds are themselves also following. Now, I don't say this to discount any work that anyone who is not a pastor is doing. Everyone here has an utmost importance uh, 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 position here as a member in the body of Christ. Every single one of us has gifts. Every single one of us is used by God tremendously to build up His church, but God specifically uses the pastoral leadership of its body to support the flock, to build up the body of Christ. We must never mistake this. Now, one might say, what if that pastor or, or what if one of those pastors is veering and attempting to lead the sheep astray? Or what if a pastor attempts to infiltrate the flock? You know, what if I can't trust my pastor? 
What if I can't trust the pastors of that church? Well, one thing, don't follow them. But secondly, we'll see in a couple of weeks here, or actually next week here, that the chief job of the church being protected from these false shepherds is not the job of the sheep to worry about, but rather it is the job of the shepherds to worry about the, the, the wolves who are coming to infiltrate the flock. And you say, well, what if the pastors don't notice there's a wolf coming in to infiltrate the flock? Well, that pastor has abdicated his leadership, but also what you can do as a sheep if you don't trust the leadership of the pastor is you can just not submit to them. Don't submit to their leadership. If those pastors who you have have not realized that they have allowed for another false teacher to come in and to lead the church astray, you as the sheep must reject the leadership of that individual. But if the pastors are leading you in the way of God, you must submit to their leadership. You say, how do I know I'm following the right under-shepherds of the chief shepherd? How, how will you know that Pastor Richard and I are, are not some false teachers? Well, we'll teach you the Word of God, obviously. Also, our lives will be right. Our lives will be an example to you, and we'll also be caring for you. You say, what's our heart attitude behind this? Why do we do this? Why do we preach the Word of God to you without wavering? Why do we watch our own lives for your sake in order that we can watch you also? Now, not just for your own sake, for our sake as well, but in this context for your sake. Why do we live this way? What's the heart behind a true shepherd of God? It is one who views the sheep rightly. It is one who views the sheep rightly. When a pastor sees a flock of God, when a pastor sees the sheep gathered for fellowship, they are to not see these, this local expression of the body of Christ as an easy target for their own gain. They're not to see it as a stepping stone to something better. They're not to see these people as people they can get control of and easily manipulate. They're not to see these people that are to be used up until something else better comes around. Rather, the pastor sees the sheep as valuable, as who you are, who are you? You are valuable not to some earthly master. You are valuable to the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. The pastor views the church rightly only when he views you with the same view that your Lord Jesus Christ has for you. And how precious are you to the Lord Jesus Christ? He died for you. Therefore, if the Lord would die for you and he has called me to be an under-shepherd or Pastor Richard to be an under-shepherd, far be it from me to try to fleece the master's flock. I have no fear of the Lord Jesus Christ if I lead you in any other way than the Lord Jesus Christ is calling for you to be led. You see, you will know that your pastor or your pastors view you as precious in the sight of God, being bought with the precious blood of God himself, which is what verse 28 says. You will know that they view you rightly as they live out what Paul is calling for this church to live out. They are feeding you the word of God. Their own lives are a testimony to follow of what the life of godliness looks like, and they are caring for you. They are guarding you against false teachers. They are watching over their, your lives. As we'll see later, they're praying for you. They're studying the Word of God for you in order that they can equip you rightly. These are individuals who care for you just as much, not perfectly, but just as much as the Lord Jesus Christ cares for you also. Let me give you an illustration of this to show you the great care the faithful pastor has towards the church of God. Imagine all of us for a moment that you have a friend who takes you up and they say, hey, i got a favor I need to ask of you, right? They say, I, I've got a favor. I need to ask you this favor here. I can't pick up my kids from school. I have three kids. They're in school right now. I need you to borrow my car. I need you to go pick my kids up from school. I need you to bring them home safely. They're my pride and joy. Make sure nothing bad happens to them. It's really dangerous out there when you're driving, and so make sure when you're on the freeway you're driving nicely. I don't want anyone to take advantage of these kids. You know, there's child predators out there. They're trying to steal my kids away. Make sure you watch over my children. How would you treat that situation there? You've got your friend's car and you've got the kids in their car. If it's me, I'm driving 20 miles per hour in the slow lane. If cars are honking at me, I don't care. I am getting those kids home safely. I am ensuring that I take care of those individuals because I know on the other end of things, there is a mother and a father who care for those children deeply. And if anything was to happen to them, I am the one who was responsible for them. So it is also for the pastor or the pastors of the church. We are not the ones who have control over your lives. We do not own you as our sheep. Rather, you are owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has, for a time being, however long he has us here, has given us the oversight over your lives in order that we would care for you rightly. You see, the shepherd's job is to ensure that you arrive to the Lord safely, that you are fed, not easily carried away by all sorts of false teachings, and that you are protected from false shepherds who are seeking to destroy you. 
And I tell you this, if you cannot trust that your shepherds are going to do that for you, whatever church it is that you call home, do not follow those shepherds. If you cannot trust your shepherds, if you see your shepherds as a liability, do not follow them. Do not follow them. But if you do trust your shepherds, then obey their oversight. Submit to their leadership. Again, don't trust them blindly. Don't follow them blindly. But if they are leading you with the love of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, then as the author of Hebrews says, submit to their oversight, for to do anything less would be of no advantage to you. Now then, that's all that I really have to say here from this particular portion of Scripture. As Paul says, he has counseled them with a whole counsel of God's Word here. I say now that up to this point in Acts chapter 20, verse 25 to verse 28, I have counseled you with all the counsel of God that I can at this time. We'll take it up again next week. But in the meanwhile, may we as a church be led by the Spirit of God in this for His purposes and for His glory alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that we have to come under the inspiration of your word in order that we would be guided uh, by your spirit to be able to live out the principles that you have given to us here today. God, we are so excited to be able to be a church that is actively growing as the body of Christ, both in number, but also more importantly, spiritually, Lord. As we continue to see your will for our fellowship, Lord, we, we just ask that you would continue to guide our hearts to uh, to be in submission to that, Lord. We thank you that you are growing us in that and, and leading us in that and, and developing us and, and, and being able to understand what that looks like. God, we know that with this call for godly leadership that you have given to the church, we pray that you would raise up men who would be able to take the call of the position of, of uh, pastor or elder, whether it's in the, uh, the paid or the uh, paid position or the lay position, Lord, whatever that might be, God, we pray that you would grow our church in order that we would be able to be wonderfully shepherded, not just merely by these under-shepherds who you've given to our fellowship, but ultimately by you, Jesus Christ. May we never take our eyes off of you, our chief shepherd. May we be led by you to eat of the good word of your, of, uh, of your scriptures, Lord. May we be protected from the false teachers that may try to come into our fellowship. God, may we be caring for one another just as you have shown your great care for us, especially in the shedding of your blood. God, we thank you that you view us as precious. We thank you that you view us as, as worthy of, of giving your own life for. And, and I pray that as we live out our fellowship now, we would seek to emulate that, both as the position of shepherds and also as those amidst, amidst this congregation. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.